see you. And uh, am I on back there? Okay, I couldn't hear myself. So it's good to hear you. It's good to hear you. It's good to hear you guys. It's good to see you guys. And man, it is good to be here. So this is exciting. This is our uh, our twelfth Bible conference. Hard to believe that many years have gone by. And uh, man, it's good to have you. It's good to see Joe in the house. Joe's with us. Joe, we've been praying for you. Man, give give some give God some praise. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. We were just talking in the in the uh, aisle way, and uh, he's a resurrected man. So uh, literally off of, literally off of the deathbed. So good to have you here. We're also praying, of course, for Dorothy and, and Kevin. It's good to have you today. So be praying for them as they're bereaved at the passing of Dorothy's daughter and uh, Kevin's sister. It's on the heels of their other uh, her other daughter and Kevin's other sister about a month ago. So. Um, it's uh, it's sorrow upon sorrow. So we pray for you guys and ask the God to give you great comfort. Uh, you know, there's it's, uh, it's amazing. Uh, our life is not our own, is it? So it's it's important that we seize the opportunity to glorify God. And a conference like this is a great opportunity to really be about the business of what God's doing. And so I'm thankful for everybody that's already put a lot of work in uh, to preparation. And I pray this week is going to be a very profitable week for the kingdom of God. Our our theme verse for the year. Uh, is is uh, in John four thirty four when Jesus told his disciples that that uh, that he had work that he needed to finish and that he needed to finish his work he came to finish God's work. Um, our, our conference verse is from Proverbs twenty four twenty seven. It talks about preparing thy uh, work without, and then afterward build thy house. Right, and and this week we're focusing on preparing the word of God, and we want to make sure that that word is prepared for the the, the ready hearts that will receive it. We're excited about all the work that will go in. Many of you have heard about uh, the Bible that was just recently found uh, by one of our members deployed uh, all the way around the world. That was exciting to know that God has the ability to get his word where it needs to go. That should not surprise us. He promises that. It won't return void, and he will send it and get it where it needs to go. And so I pray this week as we, each and every one of us, put our hands on the Bible, you know, we'd be committed to the process, right? We've got to be into to doing this thing. And, and one of the reasons that... Uh, uh, we bring preachers like Brian Callaway, who's going to come in just a moment, Brian and Tammy, <clears throat> is because uh, we need encouragement. Anytime there's a great work to be done, <clears throat> whether it's building a, uh, the temple, building a rebuilding in Ezra, you know, God would bring his key men to, to, to exhort and to encourage. And, and so each day and night, we will have the word of God being preached. But also, we're going to be putting our hands on the word of God and, being, and literally being part of the preparation of putting God's word together. If you're new to HBF, I know many of you are. Maybe you haven't been through a Bible conference. We were li- we will literally be assembling the word of God this week. And this building has been turned into a Bible publishing assembly plant. We'll still do we'll do the cutting this year out in the armory, but uh, it's all going to be done right here. When we're done, we're going to have thousands of Bibles ready to go uh, to Jamaica and to uh, Spanish-speaking people. It's going to be an exciting time. So I'm excited about all that God has in store for us, and I'm excited about y'all being part of it. And so if you just kind of stumbled in this morning, you're like, what's going on around here? This is our annual Bible conference, but we make Bibles all year long. And so this is a great time to get involved and connect with really what we're all about, getting God's word to the world. And, uh, and so literally assembling God's word to get it to the world. So uh, I want to I kind of transition now and invite uh, Brian Calloway. Last time you saw Brian here, I think you were still missionary, uh, Brian Calloway, <clears throat> and uh, now you're pastor officially at First Bible Baptist of Blue Springs, but he's still doing missions work. So he's a, <clears throat> he's kind of dual, dual, he's a missionary at heart and a missionary in practice, but he's now pastoring at First Bible Baptist in, um, in Blue Springs with Pastor Mark Brown. 
Nikki and uh, Tammy are, are here now, uh, stationed here, uh, and uh, their heart's still over there. But uh, we're glad to have you guys here with us this morning. And we've been able to work on the Lamba project. But Brian, we were literally, me and Randy were over there a couple years ago, now probably about three years ago, <clears throat> and uh, in April, for the Resurrection Conference. And uh, Brian handed us an old uh, John and Romans and said, hey, we don't have the file for this. This is all we got. And it was kind of messed up, so it had some things missing here and there. So we were able to get involved in, in reconstituting that. And I think Carrie and some others got involved in all of that. And, uh, man, it was, it was more of a project than we realized, so it was really cool. And uh, that, that project is now uh, underway. And one of the projects has come off of our of our printer that God has blessed us with this last year as well. So our press, I should say, is not a printer. It is a printer, but it's a press, so digital press. So we're excited about the, the partnership that God has given us to, to get the Word of God out. And, you know, we're not just building Bibles to build Bibles. The Bibles that we build are going to people that we can trust with them to get them where they need to go. So we're dealing with the Word of God, the seed of God's Word. We're dealing with uh, the sowers of God's Word. And, and we're praying for the, that seed to land in the hearts of God's people, uh, the people that are seeking the truth. And, and so having these connections all the way to the end point in the field is so important. It also encourages us to ourselves uh, get out of our, of our comfort zone and eventually go with it and, and see what God is doing. And so uh, I pray that God would stir you up in not only in assembling the word, but also sending the word and also sharing the word yourself, because that's really what this is all about. We've got to get the word out in every way possible. And so with that, I want to invite Brian Calloway to come up and preach to us and exhort us. Give him a good HBF welcome. And I can say family, uh, you are family, you know, and every time we come here, we're just, it's like, it's like a home away from home. It really is, you know, and, uh, and I always have to say this, I'll say it every time, you know, as you guys know, you know, your pastor is my grandpappy, right? I call him my grandpappy because he's in the lineage of my discipleship of whenever I was discipled. So Brian discipled Paul, Paul discipled Steve and Steve discipled me, so he's my great-grandpappy, right? And uh, like I said last time, you've got a lot of other great-great-great-grandchildren running around. Amen? Praise the Lord, all for God's glory. And so being here this morning again is exciting uh, to be able to actually, you know, kick off this conference. And, uh, you know, um, I was here a few years back, and, and I don't remember how many years. It had to have been five, six, maybe even seven, I'm not sure, when, when Dale Money was here. And uh, that's, I, it, now you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's really when God was working on this church to move forward with the Bible project, the putting Bibles together. And I remember when Dell was preaching and teaching and he was sharing with, it's the church's responsibility not only to assemble the word, but to get the word out, right? And this church took it to heart. And it's been neat to see, to be able to, to step back and see the process of this happening, and now to hear that, that Bible that was found, or I think I heard you right, there was one that was found around the world somewhere. I mean, it's just, that's what God does, right? That's the faithfulness of who our Lord is. And to be able to see and be a part of that has been amazing. And the way you guys have embraced us as family, as missionaries, it's been wonderful. You guys have been with us through every step of our process of when we went to Zambia and even coming back. And so... 
Thank you, church. Thank you, family, for being a part of that, praying for us, investing into us, coming out and seeing us in Zambia. And, and, and like your pastor said, you know, God did bring us back, but the work still continues. And I, I was able to share with you all that really we were just that last puzzle piece of turning the ministry over to the nationals. And now it's running over there. It's going over there. God is continuing the work. And we're all a part of that. And one day when we stand before the Lord, we're actually going to be able to, to get to see exactly all the lives that God touched through us. Isn't that amazing when you think about that? You know, we just had a good friend of ours who went home to be with Jesus from our church. Her name was Don Pratt. She was our administrator at our church. And, you know, I think oftentimes when, um, when someone passes, they go home to be with the Lord. We, all we can picture in our mind is like this fuzzy dream, you know, like that's what it looks like. But it's as real as we're talking right now. So when she's standing before the Lord, it's this real. And I'm looking so forward to that, seeing the Lord face to face and just being with him. And we have friends and loved ones who are there. But we have the opportunity to be a part of something bigger than us, God's kingdom work. Amen. And that's what brings us here today to be able to to be able to kick this off. It's an honor to be able to be a part of this and to kick off this fall Bible conference and knowing the Bibles that are going to be assimilated. And you can see up there the passages that we're going to be a part of. Um, but we are going to jump over to the actual verse that is your theme. Let's see here. I have it on. Oh, no, I have it off. There it is. There it goes. Proverbs 24-7. And so when we read this, it says, Prepare thy work without and make it fit for thyself in the field. And afterwards, build thine house. And, and this, wor- this verse uses the word thy. So it makes it very personal. And if, if, if God's making it personal in your life, then there's a decision that has to come from this. You're either going to, to listen to this commandment from God or, or we're not going to, right? But he makes it very personable. Now, I don't know if you have verses in the Bible. I know I do that. You know, we know how the Spirit of God works through Scripture. You can read one passage and it'll show you something. Then you read another, that same passage later on, he shows you something completely different. Well, there are some um, passages that I read that I just can't unsee something. Every time I read the passage, I see the same exact same thing, right? And this is actually one of those. And the Lord a while back showed me um, this verse when it comes to even, I guess you could say, a singles ministry or someone who is, is looking to build a family and looking to build a life uh, with another person. And that's not what today's message is about, but it does connect because it says here, prepare thy work without and make it fit for thyself um, in the field and then afterwards build thine house. And so what I've seen here is that it, it, whether you're single or not, our lives, we're supposed to prepare them in such a way that our lives are right with God, and then once our lives are right with God, then he can start building. Amen? And I know oftentimes singles, you know, they want to have be married, and, and, they want to, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's wonderful. But yet at the same time, we have to have our lives right with God. We have to make sure our lives are prepared to where they're at in order for God to build within us. And when I look at this verse, I see future needs rather than in, um, immediate desires. And that's really what's taking place. It's where that bigger vision where you're seeing a future need that is, is out there. And, it's, and, and when you recognize that, it's going to take away any present desire that you might have because you're building for the future. You're building for God's kingdom, which in turn is sacrifices for now for sacrifices in the future. It's seeing 
the big picture. And that's exactly what this church does. You guys see the big picture. You're coming together as a family, as individuals, to assemble God's word, to get them out around the world, because you see the, God, um, the big picture that the Lord has put on your hearts. And so now, as you have identified the work, we in our personal lives, we have to identify what that work is and then make a decision whether it's worth investing in or not, right? That's what we have to do. Identify the work, and then once you identify that work, you have to make a decision. Is it worth putting my time and my effort into? And you can see that we're going to be over here in 1 Kings 19. You can go ahead and turn your Bibles there. But we're going to begin with the life of Elijah and Elisha because they saw the big picture. We can see through their story how far they were willing to go. You see, they, they, if you look at their lives, they saw the big picture. And through their lives, we see how far they were willing to go. Now, that's the question that I ask you today. How far are you willing to go? How far are you willing to go with what God's call is, is in your life? You see, a, a lot of us might say, I'm, I'm willing to go as far as God wants me to go. And that's a great. That's the right answer. That's the answer that we should have. But there is um, uh, uh, the answer to this question that I think we really have to take a look at. How far are you willing to go? And here's the answer. It depends on the value you place on the destination. It depends upon the value that you place on that destination. Like for me, I mean, Alaska would be a great place to go. But for me, it's not a big desire for me to go to Alaska. And because I don't put a lot of value on that, I'm not going to do everything I can to build up my funds and stuff to get there. Now, again, if you want to buy me a ticket, sure, I'll go. Yeah, right? But I myself, I don't put a lot of value on that, and that's okay. But it depends upon the, on, on the value you place on that de destination. And so even when a person is all in, there can come a time when you're, you're serving God and, and you're doing what God has called you to do, but where you grow weary and tired in this plan that he has for you, right? And, and God shows us what we're supposed to do. We're pouring our lives into it, but we grow weary. And like we talk about Elijah and Elisha, the same thing happened to Elijah. He was all in, but he grew weary. You know, the destination was worth investing into, but he grew weary. You see here through the life of Elijah in, in 1 Kings, we don't have time to read his whole story, but he just came in off of a spiritual campaign, a campaign on Mount Carmel. He was tired, and we see through his life he went through a time of depression, okay? And he, he could have what you could call, he was going through some type of spiritual PTSD. It could have happened. We know what happened on Mount Carmel, Right? You had those, those prophets of Baal, and, and there was a showdown, and God calls, and he says, hey, the real God is going to call down some fire here and going to burn up our sacrifice. The real God is going to. The one who's not is not. And so these prophets of Baal, they fought for a long time. They were even cutting themselves, calling down from their, for their God to burn up their sacrifice. It never happened. But we see it happen with Elijah, and because of that, Elijah has this great victory. Then there was a slaughter because he slaughtered all the prophets of Baal. So not only was this a spiritual victory, but there was a physical victory here too. And he got to the place to where he was sad, he was depressed, and he was alone. Even after this, Ahab's wife threatened him, and he went running and entered into what? The cave 
and he was there alone and he was sad. And you look at 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4. It says here, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under the juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now. He said, he, It was enough. He's like, And you know what he was saying? He's saying, God, I'm done. I'm done. I'm finished here. I'm tired. I'm wore out. I'm done. And what we learn through his life is even though he thought he was done, God wasn't done with him. And that may have happened to us at times as we're moving forward in God's work. We get tired, we get wearied, and we say, God, I'm done. I just don't know if I can take another step. But you know, God has more of a plan. See, in this situation, God woos him back. It wasn't through the wind, it wasn't through the fire, it wasn't through the earthquake. It was through his, that small, still voice. You see, Elijah, he was a rough, rugged man. He shows up out of nowhere. He's in the face of Ahab, thus saith the Lord. And so you kind of put him with that, how powerful the wind would have been or how powerful the earthquake would have been or how powerful that fire would have been. But God did not get a hold of him through that. He got a hold of him through that small, still voice. And he wooed him back to him. And he said, I'm not done with you. I'm not done. You see, we should not give Elijah a bad rap and say that he failed. Because some people have said that before, that he grew weak and weary and God had to bring somebody else into his life. You see, he would spend, after this, the next seven to ten years discipling and mentoring a man by the name of Elisha. Then, if we look into the Gospels, he was with, on, on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was with Peter, James, and John, and Moses. God revealed him there. That was a beautiful time for them to come together to see that transfer of glory in Jesus Christ. And one of these days, ultimately, he's going to be one of the two witnesses in the tribulation. You see, he wasn't, got, he wasn't done with, with Elijah. Elijah thought he was done, but God wasn't done with him. So we have this man here now that God says, hey, I know you've just gone through some pain. But I'm going to bring somebody else in your life that's going to come alongside and you're going to spend some time with. You're going to pour your life into him and you're going to teach him how to be the prophet that you are. So if you look here in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19 through 21, it says here, So he departed thence and found Elisha and the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him. And he went with the twelfth, and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle on him upon him. And he left the oxen, and he ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? He's saying, Hey, go, if that's what you feel like you have to do, go, go talk to him. Go back to them. He goes, I'm not the one that called you. You do what you feel like you need to do. And then in verse 21 it says, And he turned back from him, and he took the yoke of oxen, and he slew them, and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen, and gave them unto the people. They did eat, then he arose, and he went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Let's pray, and then we'll get back in to, show, uh, to see what God has for us. Father God, we love you. Thank you so much for this time. Thank you for, so much for this Bible conference. And we are seeking your face today, Lord God, because we need you to prepare in us to, to go out to prepare what you would have for this world to receive your word. So many people need Jesus right now in this world. We're, we're in a perverted and twisted world, and we're trusting in you, Lord God, to use this church, to use your body, to make a difference. And then through the life of Elijah and Elisha, we learn so many principles that we need to apply to our own 
in order to be able to fulfill your call and plan for our lives. One of these days, Lord, we're going to hear that trump, but until then, help us to continue to see the value of the work that you have placed in our hands. We love you and praise you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So now the Lord has brought Elisha into Elijah's life, and Elisha is prepared to go out and to do what God has called him to do. Now, Elijah may have been confronted sometime in his life, maybe not in those words, the exact same question that I have given you this morning, how far are you willing to go? You know, that could have happened in both of their lives. But he chose to press forward. And see, because he pressed forward and he did not pull back, God was able to use him. See, this is the ever-ending challenge in our life. Are we going to press forward with God or are we going to pull back from him? Are we going to press forward in the world or are we going to pull back from the world? Because it's the constant battle that you and I are facing daily, on a daily basis. How can we tell what we are doing? How can we tell if we're pulling or if we're pressing? You know, God shows us through his spirit. And I think one way that he can show us is if we examine the excuses in our lives. Because we make excuses. We are a a people that like to make excuses with what's taking place, with what God has called us to do. So go now over to Luke chapter 14, because in Luke 14, as many of you guys might know, There's three excuses that we see here in this passage in Luke 14. And we're going to start here in about verse 15 and read down to about verse 20. And then we're going to to really take Elijah's life and really apply it back and forth to what we see in this scripture. In verse 15 it says, And when one of them sat at meat with him, heard these things, he said unto them, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they, and they all with one consent began to make an excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs to go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. So he actually is kind of polite and says, Hey, please excuse me. Okay. Verse 19, another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. But here in verse 20, and another said, I have married my wife, and therefore I cannot come. He just flat out says, I'm not coming. So you see in these three people's lives, there's this supper that is made. And and there's something special that they want them to be involved with, but they're making excuses of not to be involved. So in order to prepare... Our work, we must pull back from our selfish possessions and press forward in using God's resources. We've got to pull back from our selfish possessions and press forward using God's resources. Our possessions are to be God's resources. And I think oftentimes when we look at that, we look at our possessions at our own. But see, anything that God has ever given to you and I is supposed to be used for his resources, for his kingdom work. We all have much. We live in the United States. I'm so thankful that I live in the United States. But I've experienced other countries that have far less than what we have. And we're told not to love this world and the things that are in this world. But I think if we're all honest, we kind of love a lot of the things that are here. We enjoy what we get to experience here in the United States. Right? And that's a blessing. Praise the Lord. But whatever it is that God has given to us, we're supposed to be using for his kingdom work. 
the possessions that we have often become an excuse in our life, why do we don't press forward in the work of God? They become an attachment to us. And it's not something that we like to admit. They're, they're admissions that we don't like to make out loud that, yeah, these are things that we really enjoy. You know, it's hard to think what it would be like to live in a hut without a stove or without a refrigerator. We're thankful for those. But often we, we make excuses and things that might appease our conscience. And I'm not trying to make us feel bad by having things. It's just the things that God has given us should be used for his kingdom work. See, Elijah, he slaughtered his oxen and destroyed his plows. And there was no going back. He was all in. He had already made this decision in his life. And this is what we have to do in order to press forward in the work of God. He was prepared his heart. He prepared his life that if anything like this had ever happened, he would be willing to say yes. He was a farmer. He was working with his hands. He had very little, but what he did have was precious to him, but he was willing to let go of it. So what we see here is our first excuse. Excuse number one, Luke 14, 18, he says, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs to go see it. You know, hardly ever would anybody ever purchase a piece of ground without looking at it first. Nobody would hardly ever do that, right? I mean, I know um, Randy Adams, I, I worked with Randy Adams for a little bit when I got back here. And he, uh, he's an inspector for homes. And I was talking to one of the real estate agents. And there are people in California that are buying up a lot of property here in Kansas City. But, you know, the difference is, is we have the Internet, right? They have people on the ground with eyes that can go in and, and, and see the property and then relay back to them what the property's like, okay? And that's, that's fine. But back then, they didn't have the Internet. They didn't have anything like that, right? And when you would go buy a piece of ground, you would go see it. Like, example, when I was in Zambia, I almost purchased a piece of ground for uh, Kafulafuta, uh, Bible, or Kafulafuta Mission Station for GCMS there. And when I found the piece of land, I actually, they took me out. We walked out into the bush, and I walked the beacons, there was natural beacons, like this big tree here is the corner of our plot, and this, this twig over here is, you know what I mean? That's what it's like. And we walked the whole property. Why? Because I wanted to see it. I had a vision for this piece of property, but I wanted to see how much work it was going to take me to be able to fulfill the vision or, or what obstacles might be on it. Did it have termite hills? Did it not have termite hills? Did it have big trees, little trees? Did it have no trees? Because stumping the ground takes a long time. So these are all thoughts I have. Now, I ended up not purchasing the property. But what I'm saying is, is I went out to see the property first before I even thought about purchasing it. So nobody would ever do that. This person valued the property more than they did the supper. The land wasn't going anywhere. This land wasn't leaving. He could have gone to the supper and then come back to see it. But he chose not to. He made an excuse. And, you know, when you think about the life that we have now, that's kind of like our land, practically speaking. And a lot of times we want to see this land and hold on to it rather than go do what God has called us to do. You see, let me tell you, one of these days, this is all going to be gone. And the opportunities that God has given us to be able to invest into him and his kingdom work will be over. We can't make the excuses like this guy did. But here's the parallel to this excuse found right in the exact same chapter. The parallel is Luke 14, 33. It says, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that, hath, that, that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. You know, the kingdom work that we're talking about is always connected to discipleship. 
I see it today. I see what you guys are doing. You guys are teaching one another and helping one another on how to put Bibles together to send them out. Somebody who's never done that before. You know what you're doing? You're discipling them. It's for God's kingdom work. And right here we see Jesus saying, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath cannot be my disciple. Now he's not telling you to sell everything you have. What he's doing right now in our lives, and I pray he's doing, he's targeting something in your heart and showing something that you're holding on to a little tight. And it's that thing that you have to let go of because we can't be his disciple unless we let go of it. Again, God's work is always connected to discipleship, that growth and that maturity all the way to a place of holiness. And when we're holding on to the things of this world a little bit too tight, There's no way that we can allow God's holiness in our life to change us and conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Possessions are what can get in the way that keeps us from fulfilling God's work. We have to be careful in what we're doing and with grasping and holding on to what God has given us. Now, Elijah, again, would spend the next seven to ten years, we talked about that, mentoring Elisha on how to be the prophet that God wanted him to be. He not only gave up his possession at that time, but he had to learn how to live without possessions. And this can be very difficult. We know Philippians 4.11, Paul says, Not that I speak in respect of one, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. See, now sometimes we give up out of emotion. We just give up because God is telling us in our heart we've got to give this up, right? But then comes a time to learn how to live without it. See, that's a learning process. God has to teach us how to, le- to live without those things that we desire in our life. And it's not easy. It's not easy to do that. But God will teach you if you allow him to do so. All that the Lord has given us belongs to him. I think you understand that. And they are resources for his kingdom work. Maybe this piece of property that this guy had. If he thought properly, maybe this piece of property could have been the next place for the great supper, you know, could have been. But he didn't have that kind of vision. Maybe whatever it is that's in your possession right now, God can use in a mighty way to see someone come to know Jesus as their savior or to be able to help somebody get onto the mission field, whatever it might be. We have to see the bigger picture just as Elisha saw. So here's how here's our point of application. How far are we willing to go? It depends on if we value God's eternal riches more than our own. If you value God's eternal riches more than yourself, you're going to be more than willing to let go. But you're not going to be able to prepare the work for the Lord unless you let go of the things of this world. Our second point of study here, in order to prepare our work, we must pull back from our self-ambitions and press forward in God's opportunities. See, our ambitions are to be God's opportunities. That's what they can be our desires of our life of what we want to do with our lives and what we desire to do. And one of my favorite verses, I may have shared this last time, is Proverbs 19, 21. It says, there are many devices in a man's heart, but nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord that shall stand. So devices means plans. It's, It's okay to go a certain direction, okay? But as long as you're sensitive to the Lord and allow him to lead and guide you through that. You see, your ambitions have got to be that of God's. They can't be our selfish ambitions. Elisha could have been the next in line to run the family business, but he chose to be God's prophet instead. He chose to to give up 
even though he could have had all this wealth. He walked away what could have been a probably very wealthy future for his life, but he chose not to. He chose to give it up. And and again, I, I share illustrations wherever I go, so if I've shared this one before, I apologize, but this reminds me so much of a friend of mine by the name of Alex Chippy. Did Alex and Crystal, they visited here, didn't they? Yeah. You guys met Alex and Crystal Chippy. They're the couple now that are a part of Kufulafuta, um, um, where we used to be. And one thing I love about Alex, I, I, I appreciate him so much, is because of what he was willing to give up for the kingdom. Here's a man that lives in Zambia. He was a professional football player, soccer player, and he had skill. He had a lot of skill. There was actually um, a guy who was um, from Zambia that was playing in the Europe, European League. And I don't know if he's still there. But when Alex came up with him, he was pro- Alex was projected to be higher than him when it comes to skill and ability. He was able to, he was better. But what had happened was, was God got hold of Alex's life. And when you're in a country like Zambia and you have that ability and those talents, well, you can get paid a lot of money. Right, You can get paid some money to be able to provide not only for yourself, but your own family. That's, that's a very important thing in a poor country. And so when he walked away from it, everybody thought he was crazy. Everybody, what are you doing? No, go ahead and continue to be a football player, and you can provide for your family and still tell people about Jesus. But he knew that God was calling him to step away from it. And that's exactly what he did. He had an ambition from the time he was a child all the way up to this point, and he walked away from it. For the kingdom of God. See, there's nothing wrong with having ambitions in life as long as they're part of God's plan, as long as they're God's ambitions. Our ambitions without God, they do something. Here's what they do they steal His glory and they put the glory upon yourself. We become thieves. When you're a Christian and you know Jesus as your personal Savior and you have a desire to do something in life, and it's for you and you only, you're taking the glory. You're stealing the glory from God. We become thieves. So here's the second excuse in Luke 14, 19. He says, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. You know, the same situation here. You would never buy something that you had not already proved. You see, um, my, my uncle, he used to buy cattle all the time, and you know what, he would go to that, that Saturday morning sales, and He would go to see the cattle, watch them walk before he purchased them. You would never purchase and then prove afterwards. Why? You want to see how strong they are. You want to see if they're stable. You want to see if they're workable. You want to see if they're big, if they're small, if they're able to accomplish what your vision might be. So you would never purchase these cattle, these oxen, before you saw them first. Again, it was just an excuse. It's like going out there and buying a car without test driving it, right? And I know there's people that do that. You can buy them online now. I don't know why you would do that. But people do, right? To me, I want to be able to get in it and know if it fits what I like, right? And so you would never, most of the time, purchase a vehicle without testing it first. So this is the excuse. He's just making an excuse. He doesn't want to go. So our parallel is Luke 14, 27. This is what Jesus says, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He's saying, if, if your ambitions are greater than mine, okay, and what I want for you, and you're not willing to die to what you want in your life, and you're not willing to accept what my desire is for you, you're not worthy to be my disciple. 
Remember, the work of God is always connected with discipleship. And Jesus is trying to press in our lives, I want you to follow me, but you can't do it when you're doing what you want to do rather than what I have for you to do. Bearing your own cross, it is painful. It's difficult. It's a difficult path to go down. But the outcome is so freeing. And that's why you have to have your mind right, your heart right, your life right. Because this world will put you in a place of bondage. It keeps you and it, it, it twists our mind and it, and, and it leads us to think that what we want is exactly what God wants. Why wouldn't he want me to be happy? Why wouldn't he want me to, be, want me to have this? You know, in the, over in Zambia, you can't tell people, I'll pray for you about that. If they ask you for something, well, can you do this for me, missionary? Well, I'll pray about it. Well, see, in their mind, once you, they hear you say that, they're thinking, oh, yes, it's a done deal. Why, God, he's going to pray about it. Why would God not want me to have this in my life and to be happy, you see? It's freeing from the bondage of this world. But it will only free you if you have the proper perspective. It's saying yes to God and, not, and no to yourself, no matter what the cost might be. See, this is a picture of Elijah and Elisha. Saying no to the world, but yes to God. It it cost them everything, but yet they were willing to give it up. Galatians 6.14 says this, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. You see what he's saying here? What Paul's saying here is that the only thing that we should be investing in is that of the cross. It's the cross that saved my soul. It's, a, it's where Jesus Christ died. It was a painful death. He shed his blood. His body was broken. But it got you and I to a place to where one day we get to enter into heaven with our Lord and Savior. We get to see God face to face. We get to spend all of eternity with him. So anything that our ambitions should be a part of should be that of the cross. Nothing more, nothing less. Anything outside of that is vain and vanity. But it is difficult. In Romans 8.18, I don't have it up there, it says, For I reckon, reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. There's the glory again. You see, what I'm trying to say is that any ambitions that you guys might have, if they're not a part of the cross, then it's stealing the glory away from God. But if we are invested into the work of God that is connected to the cross... No matter what pain we walk through, no matter what hurt, no matter what sorrow, guess what? That glory is going to be revealed into us one day when we stand before the Lord. It's going to be revealed in us. So here's our application. How far are we willing to go? It depends on if we value God's glory more than our own. It depends on if we see the cross more important than what it is that is in front of us in our lives. And remember, I'm not trying to say just give up everything. What I'm saying is, is that we need to go to the Lord in prayer. We need to seek his face and ask him to lead us where he would have us to be in life, right? Whether, whether it's college or a work, it always needs to be a part of God because God has a plan. He wants you at a specific place because there's specific people that need to be reached through you and through the ministry that he's going to give you. Our ambition should always be connected to the cross. But do we value God's glory more than our own? And then the third point of study here in our final one, in order to prepare thy work, we must pull back from our self-affections and press forward in God's priorities. You know what this is connected to? This is connected to our relationships. 
And you know, I, by all means, I am not suggesting that you pull away and break all of your relationships, okay, and get away. Now, some of you out here, some of us, we might have some poisonous relationships in our life that need to be dealt with. And that's why, again, God has given you his spirit. He's given you his word. He's given you a pastor that you can go in and, and navigate through these. But I'm not saying we are to pull back from everybody because, you know what, God's number one resource is? God's number one resource is people. He uses us, the church, in order to accomplish his plan and will. So relationships are very important. What I'm talking about here is priorities. Are our priorities right? You see, the affections in our lives, sometimes we have them out of whack and they're in the wrong place, right? God, our spouse, then our family, then the church body, then the world. That's the proper priority. I'm reading a book right now, going very slowly. It's called Pursuit of God. I don't know if you've heard it by A.W. Tozer. And there's um, a second chapter called The Blessedness of Having Nothing, okay? And there's a, there's a part in here that helped me to see uh, Genesis 22 um, like I've never seen it before. As we know, the, the word love is the first time mentioned is in this chapter, right? But I never really, and maybe I heard this before, but I just never really noticed it. But the word love here is actually in a twisted and perverted sense. And I've never seen it until I read this book. And what I mean by that is it's, it's the word love is used from man to man, not man to God. And God is saying to Abraham, talking about Isaac, your son, whom thou lovest. And you know what God had to do through this? God had to take him down a path of cruelty in order to help Abraham see that there was a problem of priority in his life. See, what was wrong was Isaac was sitting on the throne of Abraham's heart. That's what the problem was. And God went through this whole process in order to get Isaac off and God back on to the throne of his heart. And see, the priorities were messed up. And, and in this chapter, he said something I'll never forget. He said, the process that God took him through was cruel, but it was effective. It was effective in his life. And God showed me that oftentimes God has to do that which is cruel in order to prevent that which is tragic. Because the tragedy would have been if Isaac continued to be on the throne of Abraham's heart. That would have been the tragedy. Our, book, our Bible might look completely different than what it did. But it was effective because God got Abraham to see that his relationship with his son was improper. It was supposed to be God that was on, his throne, on the throne of his heart, not Isaac. And so God shows us in order to do his work, we have to have our priorities right. Elijah, he slaughtered his oxen. He's destroyed the plow. But what did he do? He fed the people and he said goodbye to his friends and family and he left. I love it because our God is a God that divides, but he's not a God of division. But he is a God that divides. There is times where he separates us. But he's not a God of division because we're in constant unity together, continuing to do the work that God has called us to do. See, ministry is not easy when you see the big picture. You know that God might separate some of us sometimes. You know some, sometimes God might have to sever this relationship or tone down this relationship. It happens. But we have to be willing to say yes to God. See, Elisha, he had his priorities right. You know, one of the greatest questions that I think a Christian should ask, and it should naturally come after they get saved, is in Acts 9-6. 
And it's when Paul the Apostle said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? See, that should come naturally after a person gets saved. Now, sometimes we have to prompt the new believer to help them understand that, that salvation is in the end. It's only the beginning. Lord, what are you going to have me to do, right? But once a person asks this and they really mean it and and they really desire to know that next step, that's when God starts working out the priorities in their life. He starts revealing to them through the body, through the spirits, through his word, what changes need to be taken place in order to get to a place of holiness. And this can be difficult. But we, these affections can sometimes hold us back from continuing in the work of God. Without proper priorities in place, our relationships can hold us back. They hold each other back from serving the Lord. It happens. It happens. And that's why, um, you know, I appreciate my wife so very, very much. I appreciate Tammy. You know, when she married me, um, years, uh, about the year before we got married, I told her that we might become missionaries. And she said, okay. But I remember the look on her face when I told her that God called me into the ministry. I remember the look on her face when I told her that God called us to be missionaries. And I remember the look on her face when I told her that we're going to Zambia, not Central America. And it was kind of stoic. She didn't show a whole lot of emotion. But the reason I appreciate her so much is because of a story she shared with me that happened at her work. She was a, a nurse for 30 years, right? And she still is a nurse. And I remember she was sharing with me, she was in a room, and this happened twice with two different gentlemen that she was talking with. And she was sharing with them that we were getting ready to be missionaries. And both times these men said, you know, I really feel like God called me into the ministry too. And Tammy asked, well, well, what happened? Why didn't you? They said, well, because my wife didn't want it. My wife wouldn't have gone with me. My wife was not willing to go. And I remember her telling me that she wasn't going to be one of these women. That she was, she was not going to hold me back from what God wanted to do in our lives. And that just tells me that she was willing to give up. She had her priorities straight. It, she didn't have me on the throne of her heart. She had God. Then she had me. Then she had our children. They had the church and then the lost world. The proper priorities. And I appreciate you, Tammy. Thank you so much for, for just following and, and fulfilling what God's plan was in your life and in my life. Thank you for that. What we see here is this third excuse in Luke 14, 20. This is the excuse. I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. He didn't even ask for me. He just said, I can't, I'm not coming. I can't come. Here's the beautiful thing. Where the, what he missed that could have been so beautiful, he could have just taken his wife with him. He could have taken her with him. And then they could have experienced it together. You see, when you're in the ministry and the work of God, you want all of those that you know, your loved ones, to be a part of what God is doing. But again, without proper priorities, that tends to help cause us to pull back from what God is doing. Our parallel is found in 1426. Jesus says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, this is harsh. And this is difficult for us to, to, to bite on and to hold on to. This, this has, actually has a sting to it. But the word hate here just means to love less. He's saying, if you, if you can't love them more, uh, less than you love me, then you can't be my disciple. 
Because what is a disciple? It's a learner. It's someone who grows. It's someone who's listening and looking for the next thing in order to reproduce what God is doing in their life and the life of somebody else. That's a disciple. So what this comes down to, even so how harsh it sounds, it comes down to priorities. Are your priorities straight? Are my priorities straight? And here's the ironic thing. If we love the Lord with all we have, then we will love all those in our lives stronger than we ever could have without Christ. He makes our love stronger for others because of our love for him. If we love God more than we love everybody else, we're going to automatically love everybody else more than we could have without Jesus Christ. That's the thing. That's grasping and wrapping our minds around what God is actually doing and applying it to our lives with the work he's given us. In turn, then, we will see what others are doing and we will go out to them and we will encourage them to come in and experience what God is doing in our lives rather than just saying, I can't come, I don't want to be a part of it. So here's our last point of application. How far are we willing to go? It depends on if we value God's priority, priorities more than ours. If we're constantly putting our priorities above God's, we're not going to go that far. Because you know why? Our value is not on God. It's on the things of this world. It's on a person. It's an Isaac in our life. And God may have to do something tragic. He might have to do something cruel in order to make that priority proper. And when you take a look at these possessions and the ambitions and these affections... There's a verse that we're going to go look at here in Luke 16. Just turn a page over. And it can actually probably sting a little bit more than what we've already talked about. When you look here in in Luke 16, verse 13 through 15, I'm sorry. It says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold on to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So right now there's a problem. He's saying you can't serve two gods in your life. You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve money, right? But the next verse actually expands it a little bit further past money. In verse 14 it says, And the Pharisees also, who were covetous, heard all these things and they derided them. See that word covetous? It it expands past money. You know, we see over in Colossians chapter 3 where Paul says covetousness is idolatry. And idolatry is anything that we put above God. If we put it here and God is here, that's what we're worshiping rather than God. So anything that we covet, anything that we put above here becomes an idol in our lives. Now verse 15 kind of shares with us how God sees those idols. He says here, and he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Think about what that's saying. Anything that you put above God becomes an abomination in his sight. Your possessions. Are you holding on to something, not using it for his glory, for his work? It's an abomination. That abomination means detestable. Those possessions can be detestable in his, in, in his sight. Our ambitions, if we're putting what our desires are above God's, they become detestable in his sight. But this is the one that hurts, our affections. Our affections, people's lives. If we're putting people above God, you know what those people become? An abomination in the sight of God. That means at that moment, Isaac was an abomination in the sight of God because he was on the wrong position. Even our loved ones, 
when we put them in the wrong place in our life, they can become detestable in the eyes of God. And that's why he doesn't want it to end that way. He wants to change it in our lives. He wants to make sure that everything is proper in its proper positional place so we can fulfill the work that he's called us to do. What we can learn from the stories that we've, we've talked about today is those who made excuses missed out on something amazing. We're not going to read through it, but here in Luke 14, after all these people made excuses, the man who put the supper together says, you know what, go out into the byways, go out into the highways, and bring anybody who will listen. Anybody. You're not going to listen, so go get those who that will. See, here's the thing. What, if, if we make excuses and we pull back from God and press forward to the world, what could have been ours, God's going to hand to somebody else. What could have been ours, he's going to place in the hands of somebody else. See, that's rightfully ours. He wants us to have it. He wants us to experience it. But we have to make sure that we're pressing forward and we're not pulling back. Whether it would be assembling Bibles or working with children, saying yes to discipleship, going on a mission trip, going out to the streets to share the gospel, or just reaching people in your workplace. Maybe you have been called to be a pastor, maybe a, a missionary. But see, if we're, not, if we're not pulling back from the world and pressing forward with God, that means we're putting some things ahead and we're making these excuses. We can't make these excuses any longer. So pressing forward in God's kingdom, or are you pulling back? See, that's what God's wanting us to see today. See, that work, this is an important work, but we have to make sure that we're not making any more excuses. No more excuses. God doesn't like them because they keep us from accomplishing what God had. So as I close out here, I just want to close out with one more question, and I think you probably know what the question is going to be. How far are you willing to go? How far are you willing to go for the Lord? And again, I'm going to give you the answer. It depends on the value you place on the destination. Do you place value on God's destination? Let's pray. Father God, again, thank you for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to be here with this family to challenge us, Lord God, and how your spirit has challenged us. You spoke to me and showed me many ways in my life personally how I've been pulling back from you and how I've been making excuses, Lord. And you've challenged me personally, and I pray and ask that you're doing the same with everyone here today. This week, this church body, as you know, is coming together to put Bibles to, together to be able to send them around the world. And Lord, you're not just dealing with them with this issue, with this wonderful thing, but there's other areas in every individual's life that you're talking to right now. Lord, and I ask and pray that you would help them and encourage them. Help us to stop making excuses. Help us to pull away from the world and not pull away from you and that we can press towards that mark of the high calling, Lord God, that which is connected to the cross of Jesus Christ. We thank you and praise you. We have high expectations of what you're going to do this week. We anticipate you're going to do some wonderful things. But Lord, also I pray this, if there's someone here today that does not know Jesus as their Savior, Lord, the work hasn't even begun. They have to start at the cross. All glory is in and through the cross. And for them to come to know you, that's where it has to begin. So, Lord God, please prick our hearts. Show us and encourage us and guide us in the work that you would have us to do. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.